Welcome to the Change Management Review Podcast, where we bring the best of change management to you. In this episode, Teresa Moulton interviews Jonathan Raymond, CEO at Refound and author of the award-winning book, Good Authority, How to Become the Leader Your Team is Waiting For. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the Change Management Reviews Meet the Expert podcast series. My name is Teresa Moulton. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of the Change Management Review. And today we have a really interesting guest with us, Jonathan Raymond, uh, who is the CEO at ReFound and the author of the award-winning book, Good Authority, How to Become the Leader Your Team is Waiting For. We're going to talk with Jonathan about uh, some of the key messages that he he is standing up for in his book and how those will apply to change management work in different organizations. Let me tell you a little bit about Jonathan. In 2018, he was named one of Inc. Magazine's top 100 leadership speakers after spending 20 years trying to figure out if he was a business executive or a personal growth teacher, Jonathan stopped trying to figure it out. He, re he created ReFound to offer a way to help people develop personally and professionally at the same time. The former CEO of Emith, Jonathan has led business transformation projects in technology, renewable energy, and the coaching industry. He's a half-decent barista, a bad but enthusiastic surfer, and will never give up on the New York Knicks. Jonathan lives in Encinitas, California. So welcome, Jonathan. Thanks, Teresa. Uh, appreciate the, the uh, inspired reading of the bio. Thanks very much. <laughs> You're very welcome. Um, I think that you have a really uh, interesting background. Um, the E-Myth is such a big, a big thing for uh, people who are in my position in entrepreneurship and um, and, and I think your leadership messages are, are really neat and I'm looking forward to hearing more about them. So oh, thank you. You're welcome. So why don't we start out um, just hearing about what what the catalyst was for you to to write your book. You know, what really inspired you to, you know, say this is a time for me to put my messages out into the into the uh, universe. Sure. So for me, it really started. Um, there was kind of a ten year period where I was doing a lot of bouncing back and forth, and I think you know, like a lot of people these days, trying to figure out, you know, in my you know, 20s and 30s trying to figure out, you know, what did I want to be and, and how did I want to be it and where did I want to be that person? And uh, and I found myself uh, bouncing back and forth between entrepreneurial or, or business endeavors, uh, ways to make money, you know, different, whether it was startups or, or established companies, companies that I was in a leadership role or companies that I was in a more junior role. That was kind of half of my life. And then the other half of my life, I was pursuing personal growth. So, you know, anything and everything from, you know, fairly mainstream things like counseling to, you know, moderately out there things like yoga and meditation, maybe more mainstream these days, uh, to some really out there stuff around, you know, emotional, you know, depthful emotional work and energetic work and really anything and everything that I could get my hands on uh, to try to become a more authentic version of, of myself. Because uh, I wasn't satisfied with the, the version of self that I had, that I was. and. Um, and so what happened for me was I found myself in a CEO role and I found myself uh, really split between those two. There were things that I wanted for the business. Uh, there were values that I cared about uh, as an organization. There were ways that I, that I wanted us to approach our market and the way we thought about things and our goals and our metrics. 
Uh, and then I had a, another set of values and ideals and, and ways that I was growing as a human. And, uh, and it felt divided between those two. And it would really bother, it really bothered me. And I, and I just felt like, hey, this is, this is not okay. We, we, we are making a split between two things. And, and I wasn't convinced that, that it was right that we were doing that. And, um, and I really found myself in a, a leadership crisis of realizing, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to lead with my, my, my core values, the way that I want to show up in the world in a way that also works for business and uh, attaches to objectives and outcomes and, and metrics. Uh, and I was really struggling. And so um, that was really the genesis for the work that I started to do myself, uh, mm -hmm. on myself as a leader, uh, which turned into the ideas in the book, which we can talk more about. Wow, that's great. You know, it's um, imp impressive to me that you were able to be that self-aware while in the role mm. of a CEO. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the good thing about being a CEO is that it kicks you in the teeth, whether yes. you like it or not. And so it's one of those things where uh, I'm sure many of your listeners can relate. It's like the more the more leadership uh, you take on, the more likely you are to have that leadership take you out. Um, yes. And and, um, uh, and that's, you know, those are those moments where you really have a choice, right? You can lean into those moments and go, whoa. Uh, the, the, the people around me, the, the culture around me is offering me a reflection that's uncomfortable, uh, but I want to do something about it, or we can stick our head in the sand. Um, and um, uh, for better, I decided to uh, choose the uh, former option. That's great. That's really great. And um, so in terms of your, your book, I love the I love the title of it, Good Authority, mm. because it's such a oxymoron compared to how people mm. think about authority. Um, yes. So what were some of the key messages in that book that really brought you to the point where, you know, you just couldn't hold them inside anymore and you needed to, you needed to get them out there for people to understand? I think the biggest learning that I had, so I had started the company before I read the book and I started working with a lot of leaders and managers, whether they were, you know, executives, business owners, first time managers. And I started to hear this common thread, which was, I want to be helpful. I want to help people grow. I don't know how. I don't have any training. I don't have any role models. I don't know what good looks like. What do I say? Like literally, like what words do I use? Mm. And what I found was even in, in very well-established companies, Fortune 100 companies who have spent tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions on leadership development and L&D, uh, this problem is, is, remains unsolved and uh, to this day. And so, and the culture is changing really quickly at the same time. So um, that was, so one of the big things that I realized was like, hey, this is not about people, uh, this is not about courage or intelligence or, or willingness. This is a training gap. This is a skills gap. Mm -hmm. and, and I had figured out, I had started to figure out a way that I was changing as a leader for the better. But, um, you know, I just started sharing it with a small community of people that I was working with at the time. And people said, hey, this is really good. Like, I've never seen anything like this before. I've never seen content like this. Mm. Um, you, you, should, you should write a book. And um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if anyone's looked on Amazon lately, but there's about 35,000 books on leadership on Amazon. So yes. it wasn't exactly like, you know, oh, we need another book on leadership. But I decided to do it anyway. And, uh, and I'm glad I did because it was a, a, a deeply uh, transformative process for, for this content, but also for myself to be able to make sense of my own personal story and share that out with the world. 
Mm-hmm. What I liked about the book is that it's um, very conversational and, mm. you know, very friendly to read. And, um, and one other author in a different, slightly different, but adjacent um, topic is Michael Bungay Stanier. And mm. he wrote the coaching book. And so the same thing, you know, why do we need another book on coaching? But his book is one of the most a fascinating, um, enjoyable, humorous reads. And I thought your book was very uh, down to earth and relatable as well. And so I, I, I'm glad you took the time to write the book and, um, you know, bring us some of that, me- some of those messages and content, because, you know, I think, I think the lens that we look through at leadership um, is constantly changing. And, um, we do need updated thinking and and so forth on the topic. So that's indeed, um, and and I and I love the call out. Michael's uh, I know Michael and uh, like Michael, and it's a really good book. So uh, um, yeah, different same subject matter, different approach, different you know kind of different angles on the problem. But uh, yes. um, I'm with you. Yeah, it's um it's really cool. So now that you're you've written the book, and I know you do some you do mostly public speaking. Do you do consulting and things like that as well? Actually, I do. I don't do that much public speaking. I do oh, some. Okay. All right. um, uh, I've been doing more lately. But uh, so we have a, a training business, uh, okay. which is the, the bulk of what we do. I would say 90% of the work that I do is uh, is with our clients. And mm-hmm. we design uh, programs using the content. We've, tra- we've taken the content in the book and turned it into a, a four-module leadership development course okay. around the four, the four things that we think are the most important and obviously using good authority as the, as the right. philosophical framework. Uh, and then we've run programs uh, at you know, very large companies, very small companies, a bunch in between, uh, really you know, any company that wants to do this reboot on the future of work and the future of leadership, um, that's what we do. And so we've got a team um, that you know, spends enough time on airplanes and you know, going around yeah. and offering trainings and we have a, a certification program and all that. Oh, that's great. That's really great. Um, so what do you think, like, if we were to ask you about, you know, say the one one to three key lessons in, in your content, I know that's, you know, across four modules, I'm sure there's a, more than three lessons, but what are the three tenets of, of your perspective on, on leadership that really come out in that work? The first one is an idea that we call more Yoda, less Superman. Oh, I love so that. So that is, um, that's really what, what, for us, that's the mindset shift, uh, mm-hmm. which is where we are today as leaders and managers until we change it. The default is we operate like Superman or Superwoman, whether we know it or not, um, that's how we operate. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we micromanage even if we don't think we're micromanaging. Uh, we're in each, we're in in our people's business mm-hmm. uh, in one or more ways, even though even though we think we may not be. Um, and we are you know solving other people's problems, finishing their work, uh, essentially doing all of the things that that a good coach doesn't do. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, we're not creating space for growth. Mm. And so contrasted that with you know Yoda, our our, our beloved Yoda character, um, who asks challenging questions and leaves space and lets the Let's Luke fail and lets him take risks mm. um, and, and, and designs uh, tailored opportunities for his mentee, let's say, or his coaching client uh, to grow. And, but, but in the end, uh, leaves that growth uh, in the hands of the person who needs to do the growing. And, um, and so that, that concept of Moriota less Superman is the, 
that's really the central part of our philosophy and one that re that has resonated deeply with um, with leaders and managers who are you know overworked, uh, overscoped, under budgeted, don't have enough headcount, and we say, look, you got to get more from the people you have. That means you got to be a better coach, and you can't be you can't be running around finishing everybody's work and and covering in the gaps for them. You got to hold them accountable, mm -hmm. and it's got to be their growth. So that's the that's the one of the three um, most important. Um, I'm going to give you two, and I'm going to give you the third one, which is sort of an offshoot of it. Great. Uh, the, sec the second one is the accountability dial, which is uh, even if you agree with Jonathan Raymond and you think, okay, I think that I think that guy's onto something. Uh, how do I do it? How do I be more Yoda? And the core of our philosophy is a five-part conversation map uh, mm. for how to start, advance, and deepen an accountability conversation. And so uh, there are five steps to that process, and that's our core. IP that we teach, it has a, there's a ton of nuance and there's a lot you can do with it, whether it's feedback with a direct report, peer-to-peer -peer conversations, feedback to someone more senior in the organization. You can use it in a lot of different ways. Uh -huh. um, but the, the core learning there is if you want to shift accountability, you have to break that process up into smaller chunks to make it digestible, to make it approachable. Um, and since we're talking with you know change management folks, we can say things like to make it psychologically safe. Yeah. Um, that you, you have to break it up into digestible, uh, listenable, actionable pieces. And that's what the accountability dial is designed to do. So that's the, that's the really second. Neat. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's a really cool tool it applies. It's a very simple tool, mm -hmm. but it applies to a lot of different situations. So we're, we're really, we do a lot with that tool. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a lot we're going to do with that tool, um, going, going forward with, with some other products we're talking about. And then, um, uh, well, maybe we'll pause there. And then uh, I think you said one to three. So I said two. Uh, I could talk more, but I'll pause. Oh, no, that's fine. I was just giving you kind of like a a little uh, kind of paradigm uh, in, yes. in terms of terms of it. Um, so what's interesting to me is this um, this Yoda, you know, more Yoda, less Superman is really that mindset shift is really like their kryptonite, isn't it? It's like if they can get into that mindset, they can really get some effective results working. Yes. Out. Yeah. That's and it's one of those things like like any, you know, it's sort of like, you know, meditation, right? You can meditate for one minute and you could get some benefit. If you meditate for half an hour, uh, you're going to get a little, it's going to be a little harder. Uh, you're going to have to, you're going to have to go through some, some more pain and discomfort, but you're going to learn more about yourself. Uh, mm -hmm. If you go on a week-long meditation retreat, then you're really going to learn some stuff about your, about your, how you show up uh, in your own mind. And so the the more Yoda, less Superman is is like that in the sense that it's a it's a contemplation, it's a it's a it's an open question. Hey, am I being am I being Superman right now, or am I being Yoda right now? And there are mm -hmm. a bunch of layers uh, that go with that. It makes for really ripe uh, ripe coaching. Mm -hmm. So if we were to take these concepts and many more that I'm sure you have in your work and start to think about them in context of a change management um, transformation, uh, how would you go about, um, you know, applying them to change management work? So, for, well, there, there are a couple pieces of it. So one of the things that I, that I as a CEO and, and multi-time CEO, one of the things that's really important to me is that any any change initiative, any anything that's touching on L and D and learning and wanting people to behave differently, it's got to be connected to business outcomes. It's got to be connected to well, what, why are we doing this? Like, what is the goal that we're trying? Are we just doing this for because we're, we're are we entertaining ourselves? Obviously not. 
But oftentimes there's not enough work done around diagnosing like what is the problem that we are trying to solve. Mm-hmm. So for example, we had a, a one of our clients um, came to us and said, look, we're a, we're really kind of an execution heavy culture. We're pretty good at the execution and operationalizing of things, but we're losing people because we're not doing coaching. We're not doing development. And we have a whole bunch of leaders, thousands of leaders who are, who are trained, who have been trained or, la- or not trained, uh, but are showing up in a kind of an old paradigm of, of how you show up um, as, a, as a people leader. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we want to do some organizational change around that. And so, you know, you could think about it, or, or one of the ways to think about it is a kind of, you know, top, middle and, and, and down. The, the, the leadership has to be part of that, right? So if you have a CEO who says, hey, that sounds good, you should go do that. Uh, run the other way. Mm-hmm. Um, and you what you want is a CEO to like, wow, that's really interesting. I need to do that too. Um, where do I sign up? Uh, mm-hmm. That's that's what we're looking for uh, in our clients. And if we don't get it, uh, we we walk. Mm-hmm. Um, because otherwise, you that kicks to the middle part. You're working with the managers and the folks in the middle of the organization who are looking up and saying like, yeah, right, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, I don't see anybody up there changing. Why should I change? So. Right. Um, and as we talked about in the book, it's not only a top-down initiative, but it's got to be both. The C-suite has to open the door. They have, they have to role model some – well, they don't have to, but if they, but if they want to do it the way we think you have to do it, uh, you have to be able to role model some of that transparency and candor uh, and be willing to, you know, be willing to put yourself in the fire a little bit and say, hey, I, I, need, to, I need to change also because it's, you know, 2019 or going on 2020, and I know the world has changed, and, and I've been doing this a long time, and – uh, I'm sure there's some things I could learn too. So there's an earnestness about that. That's really, I think really has to be there. And and I, I think that the the piece that, and this really applies to the accountability dial and a lot of the other tools we teach, is that what organizations I think miss m- most of the time is that they don't honor the voice of resistance in a change process. So they they push a change initiative and even a really well thought out, hey, there's a lot of good reasons for why we're doing it. We put a plan, we have a structure. Hey everybody, here's what we're going to do, and they try to paper over the history, and they don't ask people like, "Hey, well, you know, why do you think this might not work?" You know, or what are what are your objections to? You know, even if we have a you know sort of a good idea, uh, there's probably some things we missed. What do you think we've missed? Um, honoring the voice of why do you think this isn't going to work? And it's there's a fearlessness around change management that I rarely see. Where with our clients, we we I went through this the other day with a with a uh, CTO of a company, uh, about you know a couple thousand employees, and you know he went through a fear place, uh, understandable of like, well, you know if we open this door, you know is everybody going to kind of go to the dark side and think everything is bad? Um, and I said no, they're going to think, wow, this is great. Our leadership is being transparent. That's all we really want. Um, and and he went through that you know that um, crucible in himself and as a leadership team, they did that. And saw on the other end, oh, yeah, this is a two-way conversation. That's a good thing. Uh, we don't have to have all the answers. So I think approaching change management with a lot more vulnerability, a lot more transparency, and bringing people into the conversation earlier, uh, different types of people, uh, much more work needs to be done there. I am so glad you said that because you know one of the key observations that I have around the change management professional role is that it's become much more programmatic and project-oriented. 
And so, you know, there are change management professionals who aren't getting to the seat at the table or who um, really have the opportunity to influence and make some of these uh, changes with executives, but, you know, don't have this type of, I think you said, earnest or honest conversation with the executives. And I think it, it gets to the point where even the leadership coaching becomes programmatic when it's tied around an initiative where, you know, with what you're talking about, we're really talking about a mindset shift that starts at the top. Yeah. And I think, you know, to your, exactly to your point, we've seen this over and over again, is we're, we're, we're constantly in the position, uh, which is, which we revel in because we get to, we get to be part of the solution is, you know, historically, you know, similar to change management, L&D tends to take very programmatic approaches, right? But yeah. why, right? It's because they have a budget, they have, you know, metrics they have to hit, they have their, their organizational boxes that they're trying to fit into. And so because of the, the genesis of, the, of their mandate, the solutions that they design tend to be very programmatic and structured, but oftentimes that's the opposite of what's needed. What's needed is something that's much more open and something that's much more agile, but you know, it's very difficult to get budget for that. So how do you design a program uh, that, that checks the boxes? Yes, we're gonna, yes, we are gonna teach this content. Yes, we are gonna do this piece. Yes, we're gonna cover that ground, but not in the way that you think. We're gonna cover it in a very different way that's much more human and inclusive. Yeah, and I think impactful. Um, yes, yes. But since it's an intangible, it's hard to actually, you know, put the value proposition around it, you know, in a proposal or something. But once they experience, um, you know, the mindset shift, or at least create some sort of, you know, glimpse of other other ways of being and thinking. I think then leader, that allows leadership to then make a decision. Am I going to actually be vulnerable and go into this type of conversation and practice? Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, someone has to talk to somebody in procurement who's going to say, what are we doing? How, how much is this going to cost? Right. right. So uh, yeah, I'm with you. So it seems like there's always a disconnect from top level change messages and the perception of those changes by the rest of the organization. Why do you think that is, Jonathan? Context. Ah. The reason is it's because the, the further you are in the org chart, the more data information, um, intuitive or otherwise, uh, you, you have so much more control that you, that you have, right? You have so much more information, information that you might even think of like, well, wh what are you talking about? There, you've had a million conversations, you've sat in planning meetings, you, you have so much more context for mm -hmm. why you're doing the things that you're doing. And so you give when you when you say it when you go to a town hall or an all hands or whatever an org meeting and you and you and you give the key you give the bullet point the bullet point doesn't land because it doesn't have the context it doesn't mm -hmm. have the why and and that ripples through the organization and so a lot of the when we work when we work with uh, executives which is only as part of a larger project mm -hmm. uh, that's one of the things that we we talk with them about is how do you how do you break out of that um, and and not only at the C-suite, but also provide training for the managers to be mm -hmm. able to translate, hey, so the, you know, the CEO said this, um, here's what that means for us, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, how many managers have received training in translating the message of the CEO down to a level of relevance uh, for their local team? I think probably a grand total of zero. I agree. I agree. In fact, in my consulting work, that's, you know, that cascading of communication is um, almost done as a, as we said before programmatically, but right. what happens with that is that you lose the meaning. Right. And um, and so 
you know, I think there's been a study done, um, I can't remember by whom, um, but that cascading communication is one of the most in, ineffective ways to communicate with an organization. Yes. But yeah. then, you, then you say, well, then what else? You know, what else do we do to not just say, here's what it, here's what's changing, this is why it's changing, but here's what it means. That's right. And that's the, um, you know, we, we joke sometimes like, can we build an app that's like a magic decoder translation ring um, that like, you know, the CEO says <laughs> something through one end and on the out, on the other side comes a like contextually appropriate, you know, job specific, you know, role aware uh, communication message on the other end. Um, mm -hmm. I think we're, we're a few years away from that. Maybe it's in the lab somewhere. Yeah. So my understanding is you teach a lot about feedback and one-on-ones and why is that part of a change project in your opinion? Uh, it's actually exactly to the point we were just talking about. That's one of the forums uh, mm -hmm. where you can translate leadership messages down to that local relevance. And managers have mostly have not had any training in how to do that. And so the one-on-one -on -one becomes sort of a check-in, you know, what's today's fire? Where are we with this? When am I gonna get that? I like this, I don't like that. It's very local, it's very, um, it's very in the moment and not in a good way. And so one of the, one of the things that we've found is that the one-on-one -on -one is a very powerful tool uh, in your people leadership toolkit to be mm -hmm. able to step out of the day-to-day. -day. And so most people are using one-on-ones very, very ineffectively because they're, it's basically a, a, a deepening micromanagement session mm -hmm. instead of like, hey, let's, you know, all that other stuff we can cover by email and by Slack or, you know, whatever communication tool, uh, let's take this half an hour that we have with each other once a week or once every two weeks, and let's talk about something larger. Let's have a conversation around, you know, where you are and where you want to be and maybe some of the skills that I can help you develop and, you know, those types of things. And okay. having that career development or developmental conversation, um, because oftentimes the, well, the the disconnect is that for folks who are senior in an organization, there are other incentives or they may be significant financial incentives. There may be, you know, all different kinds of rewards, you know, other kinds of benefits, personal benefits, ego benefits mm -hmm. um, to, to succeeding. Whereas for the vast rest of the organization, uh, I want to I want to get paid. I want to have a good job. I want to I want to cover my family expenses. I want to pay for my kids college mm -hmm. and I want to put I want to put food on the table. And so the 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 context is so dramatically different in the rest of the organization. And so the that that opportunity to develop really at any level in the organization to develop uh, a, a personal growth um, algorithm, if we could use that word, for each person in the organization. That to us is the manager's job in the modern world because mm -hmm. there's a whole bunch of stuff you can't give people. There's not enough promotions and titles to go around. Uh, there are not enough, you know, great parking spaces and you know, you know, employee of the month. Like there's not enough of those. Mm -hmm. So what, what can you do that everyone can get? Well, everyone can have something that they're working on and everyone can have a manager who helps them grow. Mm -hmm. That's our vision. You know, and what I love about that is it adds like a third type of one-on-one um, -on -one kind of category, at least to what I've been thinking. You know, there's the performance management conversation. There's the, you know, professional development conversation. And you're bringing the personal development conversation into the organization. and that's the one where you're really able to get at people's values and find yeah. the motivation, right? So yeah. I, I think that's And that's, that's the bridge problem. between the first two. The bridge between the, the professional development and the performance management is that personal growth. Yeah, well, uh, well done, I love that, that's great. Mm -hmm. um, 
So I have just a question for you. I'm finding this this to be a fascinating conversation. <laughs> and, uh, one of the I'm things, glad. I love that stuff, as you can imagine. Yeah. No, I love your passion for it. Um, so one of the things we talked about was, you know, bringing the CEO message, the meaning into the rest of the organization. How do you bring um, leadership capability down into the organization? Uh, what kinds of you know, what are some of the key concepts that you cover with someone maybe at a director or a manager level that's going to enable them to uh, better lead a change? Uh, well, first of all, I, I mean, not first of all, I think, you know, coming back to that, the original concept of meeting people where they are, uh -huh. most, most programs, programmatic or otherwise, uh, they don't do enough to meet people where they are. And for most managers, you know, they were most, not all, but most of them were uh, talented individual contributors uh, were tapped on the shoulder. Hey, can you lead this team? Um, and they may or may not have done a lot of thinking about what was involved uh, okay. in that in that quote unquote promotion. Right. Uh, and they find themselves uh, pretty underwater on a whole bunch of levels, and and often uh, regretting the decision to say yes, uh, right. wishing for the day that they could go back to being an individual contributor. Uh, these are the things that we survey people on all the time. And so uh, I think you know designing programs to meet people where they are and to really say, look, this is a program for you, and here's how, and here's why, and here's the here's your problem that we think you have that we're trying to solve, irrespective of what the organization needs. And I know that might sound a little bit um, out there, but it's, it's really not. It's right. really taking this idea of people first and saying, okay, hey, if we build programs and training and, and, and spaces for, for the individual leaders at the junior levels, junior to mid levels in our organization, for them to feel like they're, they are benefiting personally, legitimately, uh, they're going to be so much more effective at embodying whether they are company values or uh, speaking to you know, KPIs or OKRs, whatever it is, uh, they're gonna be so much more able to do that because they're going to be so much more of themselves available in the room. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that makes a lot of sense. And then, you know, one other curiosity I've had about this conversation is, how do you bring personal leadership to the employee level? You know, what kinds of concepts do you provide for employees so that the the desire, um, as it's stated in the ad car change model, the desire piece is <laughs> really helping them move forward towards acceptance? Yeah, it's funny. I was uh, I was in a workshop uh, the other day, and, and somebody was talking about the ad car model. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's a friend of mine for me. I don't know who came up with that acronym, but I, I guess we're deciding it's memorable. Um, so the uh, uh, what I would say is that there's a uh, there's a concept that floats out there around you know it's just particularly on feedback and one on ones that one on ones should be employee led, um, uh -huh. which I think is is a nice aspiration but an unfair starting point. Mm. And so the way that you get it down to the front lines is through conversations by the manager to let people know what's actually even possible. Uh -huh. And in a really well designed organization, it starts in the recruiting process. Here's how we think about personal development. Here's what you should expect from your manager, um, where we're checking in. Is that happening? Are you having those types of conversations? Are we offering that training for managers and facilitators? <laughs> Excuse me. And so um, a lot of that is the context set by that, by that individual people manager or leader. Mm -hmm. and, and then people seeing that they are, that they are given feedback, that they do have a voice. So it's really in the day-to-day the -day experience. And most importantly, something that we don't do is we don't showcase and highlight and praise 
when people do do that, when people mm-hmm. are using it as an opportunity for personal development, we almost go like, oh, wow, that's interesting. And we just sort of like watch it happen mm-hmm. instead of being like, hey, what Melissa did over there yesterday, that, that's what we're talking about. Like, that's what everybody has the opportunity to do here. Great job, Melissa. You really stepped in and, and took ownership of that. And here's the implications of that. And here's the impact that it had on, on that customer. And that's what we want to see more of. If you don't incentivize that verbally and, and in other ways, then you're not going to see that behavior change. You know, what uh, struck me as you were saying that is coming back to the more Yoda, less Superman uh, concept of helping a leader be authentic in providing that feedback. Um, yes. And, and, you know, and, and how powerful that is. And I don't think as leaders, people realize the amount of weight that a comment or um, acknowledgement from them will have. And they're not given, you know, authentically, they're given more from the he- from the head or the Superman mindset. Yeah. And, and maybe that is a good, you know, sort of full circle to why I called the book Good Authority was the mm. reason why that's the case is because we don't we're not having a conversation about authority itself and how big of an impact that has the the uh, unconscious um, associations and burdens and traumas and uh, experiences that we've all had with authorities in our life from early childhood onwards. Uh, and you know, I I ask this question all the time, and we're when you know my trainers ask these questions all the time. You know, how many people in this room? have had a, you know, a really positive experience of an authority figure in their life who did these things, who showed up in these ways. Mm-hmm. You know, you get a couple of hands uh, you know, here and there. How, on the flip side, how many people have had an authority experience where somebody uh, was, was a boss or a parent or a coach or a mentor who, who abused that, that mm. position of authority and didn't do everybody's hands spring up? Yeah. Uh, I've got five of those, right? So we have so many more experiences on the negative side culturally and mostly individually but we're not talking about that and we're not we're not taking ownership of that and if we don't if we're not honest about that being the foundational reason why we struggle so deeply with leadership and management we're missing the boat entirely Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah well said so jonathan what do you love about helping clients with change projects what really gets you you know juiced up to get this stuff moving in an organization uh, I think for me, the most fun part is when they see that it's actually easier and simpler and and actually makes less work rather than more. That's a mm-hmm. I'm I'm a, I'm a very hardworking entrepreneur in many ways, but I'm also incredibly lazy and <laughs> I, I don't want to do something six times if I can do it once. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, that's a big part of the genesis of why I invented the feedback model and the way we teach is like, hey, let's have one powerful conversation that has the transparency we needed to have and the candor we needed to have and the humanity that we wanted to have. And then let's watch something change. And so uh, when people have that moment and then, and then the kicker is when uh, the, the, the Holy grail for me is when someone comes up to one of our trainers or they email us on the website and they say, you know what, I went to one of the, I went to a refound training at my company and uh, it was really great, but you know, what was great is I'm using it at home. Yeah, and um, it's helping me be a better dad, or it's helping me be a better husband, or a better wife, or a better friend. That's what gets me up in the morning. That's awesome. That's really really cool. So we're um, getting about to the end of our time, but I have one um, one last question for you, and that's uh, how does how does your work and surfing kind of come together for you? 
There, uh, I love that you asked me that question. So the, <laughs> there's, a, there's a book out, and I'm forgetting the name of the book. I wish I could credit the author. Uh, but there's a book out right now about uh, surfing and Sartre, the oh. old French philosopher. And he basically, he, doesn't, he wasn't saying exactly Sartre was wrong, uh, but he was saying Sartre didn't know about surfing. And um, for, for me, one of what, he, what he describes when you, when you surf, uh, you, you have to do this thing which he calls adaptive attunement. Right, mm. so you can you can have skills, you can have your strengths, you can have what you want to do, but you have to deal with the wave that's in front of you, and you have to deal with the wind, and you have to deal with changing conditions. And some days are good, and some days are not, and some days it's crowded, and some days it's not, and some days you have a lot of energy, and some days you don't. And and I love that. For me, that's what the practice for me. That's that's become the meditation in my life, um, mm -hmm. where it's it's about being in the water and working with what is. Mm -hmm. and and pushing my will as much as I can, uh, but also knowing that uh, I'm not an all-powerful uh, uh, being. There's certain, I have constraints uh, that, uh, that I have to work within. And so that's what I, it's great practice for me. Mm. And I, I, the, the last thought that I'll leave you with is another guy wrote an article about what he loves about surfing, which I can resonate with. He says, what I love about surfing is I suck at it. And, and, and I love having something in my life that I'm terrible at. Uh, and so that's, that's one of the other benefits is it keeps you humble. Yeah. So what do you do about the sharks? I don't think about them. And um, <laughs> uh, I try to think about the seals and the dolphins. Uh, and, um, you know, I always cite to people, I live by Highway 5 in Southern California, way yeah. more dangerous than the Pacific Ocean. So oh, um, that. that's, that's how I think about it. That's great. Well, I want to thank you so much for um, coming on to our show and just being so authentic and uh, wise and offering some of your sage advice and experience. And um, it's just been really lovely speaking with you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Teresa, for, for great questions and uh, engaging dialogue. Really appreciate that. Oh, you're welcome. And so we're going to uh, close out the podcast, but you can get more information about Jonathan at his website, um, www.refound.com. And uh, also, I would encourage you to uh, look at his book, which is the, t the title we've mentioned a couple times, but it's Good Authority, How to Become the Leader Your Team is Waiting For, and that's on Amazon.com. So with Without further ado, I think we'll end the podcast and um, thank you all for joining. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Change Management Review podcast with Teresa Moulton, Editor-in-Chief of Change Management Review, and Jonathan Raymond. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and like us on LinkedIn.